Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. We're continuing our series called Collide this morning. We're talking about the collision of religion and faith. The collision of religion and faith. If you want a social media blast this morning, here's what it is. With religion, I'm in control. With faith, God is in control. So go ahead and whip out your smart devices, and if you tweet that or put that on, on Facebook. With religion, I'm in control. With faith, God is in control. The thing about religion is it's man-made. It's man-centered. It's all about me. But with faith, it's a trust relationship. I'm trusting God. Religion is, is natural. In fact, it's what we tend to lean towards. Even in the Christian church, we can get very religious about, well, you have to wear certain things and you have to do certain things and things that aren't even necessarily biblical. We add on to, the, to this thing we call Christianity because that's our tendency as humans. Religion is natural, but faith is supernatural. In fact, the scripture talks about faith as being something that only God can author in us. The only person who can create Faith is God himself, and he does that in the hearts of people. And we respond to that, that uh, my grandma would say, that unction, that feeling, that drawing of his Holy Spirit to himself. That's the power that God has. That's why faith is supernatural. In this week we call the Passion Week, which starts today with what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. All around the world, Christians gather around to celebrate the launch of the Holy Week or the Passion Week with Palm Sunday. How many of you know what Palm Sunday is? It's a day where Christians around the world high-five each other. Palm to palm. Never mind. Yeah, okay. Ah, you didn't have to do that. All right. Palm Sunday is all about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and in the celebration, they wave palm branches, and, and uh, we're going to talk about that this morning because that is the collision of religion and faith in this moment in history in the Bible. We'll be mainly in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 19, although each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do record this event. We're primarily going to be there so in this recording of this event, all of Israel, all Jews from around the world kind of converge on Jerusalem for this, this holy week in, in the Jewish tradition is the week of Passover and the feasts. And so they're all gathering in Jerusalem for this most holy day as they celebrate Passover, which is the celebration of the promise of God delivering them from their Egyptian captors hundreds of years before. And so they remember this great promise and miracle that God performed for the Jews in Egypt. And they come together each year to celebrate the Passover. So Jesus and his disciples, wanting to celebrate this holiday, are traveling to Jerusalem from Jericho. They're moving south from Jericho. So they get on Highway 63, they head south. And they go through Bethany. Bethany is an important town because it's here that Jesus performed one of his greatest miracles when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, Lazarus had been dead three days. It was now the fourth day. Lazarus being dead three days is important because in the Jewish tradition, you're not really dead until three days. You're only mostly dead. 
But by day four, you're all dead. There's only one thing you can do, right? Go through the pockets and look for loose change, right? That's... But at this point, you, you know, you're not going to get your money back on the flowers that you sent to Mary and Martha. It's just, you're not going to, that's 50 shekels you wasted. But Jesus comes in and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And people see this. People who had attended the funeral, they had seen Lazarus' cold, dead body. And then they see him. They verified that this actually was Lazarus. And the people who observed this, there was hundreds of people who now know that Jesus is the one who's raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus' fame has continued to spread throughout the Galilean hillside, countryside. And now as he moves, his, moves from Jericho to Jerusalem, the crowds grow. His fame grows. And he's about to enter Jerusalem. And there are crowds of people expecting him. Jesus had been teaching his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that this was the next step for him, that this was God's plan, that he would come to Jerusalem and die. And on their approach to Jerusalem, after Bethany, they get to the Mount of Olives, which is on the east side of Jerusalem. It sits up uh, on, uh, on the hillside, and between Mount of, the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem is the Kidron Valley. They cross the Kidron Valley You hit the walls of Jerusalem, and immediately you enter into the temple area. The temple mount, as they call it today. And Jesus stops with his disciples, and he says, go on ahead and go into the gates. And just inside the gates, you'll find a a donkey tied up. Bring the donkey to me. I'm going to ride it into Jerusalem. And if anybody stops you, tell them the Lord has need of it. Is this like some sort of old-time, like, carjacking? Right? Like donkey jacking. You like that? So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus tells his disciples, go get this donkey for me. And if anybody stops, you tell them the Lord has need of it. And they do just as he said. And in fact, they find this donkey right where he said it would be. And they have this encounter with the owner who says, you know, where are you taking my donkey? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And he doesn't stop them. He doesn't stop them. He, he, he's simply agrees with them. And he, he must have known with Jesus entering, he, he's, he knows something special is about to happen. It was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9 that the king of Israel would come in. It says, O daughter of Zion, don't fear. Your king is coming. He's going to ride on a donkey, the colt of a donkey. He knows, as does all of Israel, that this is the prophecy that would be fulfilled for the Savior, the Messiah, the King to come. So many people at this point know that Jesus is doing this intentionally, and he is. Jesus is proclaiming himself King at this very moment. Expectations are high, and he is intentionally fulfilling this prophecy. And so Jesus gets the donkey, and he begins to enter Jerusalem. I need my helpers. Can you come up here real quick? Come on. Where's my helpers? Awesome. All right. Can you guys line up? One, one line of people here. One line of people here. Awesome. Very good. So it says that Jesus, as he's entering the city. Maya, why don't you come right over here, sweetie? Jesus is entering the city. The crowds have grown. And this isn't just like some five-minute parade. 
If, if you can imagine the distance he has to travel from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, it's probably a mile or two or more. And then through the city, he's entering Jerusalem as the king and people recognize this. So they immediately, as any good person would do, strip off their coats and throw it down for the red carpet affair. This is kind of like the Oscars. I'd like to thank my parents for making this possible today by conceiving me. Jesus didn't say that, but you can imagine. So they began to throw their coats out. Somebody throw that coat out. All right, there you go. Throw that one out. Very good. Here's another coat. There you go, Maya. Throw that one out there. And uh, what are these? These are snow pants. Those are fitting this time of year. And oh, wait, this is my belt. I knew my pants felt loose this morning. There's my belt. All right. But it says they didn't just throw out their jackets. They waved palm branches. I don't have palm branches this morning. The best I could do is ping pong paddles. So here you go. Don't hurt yourself. Okay, spread out just a little bit. Spread out just a little bit that way. There you go. And they waved them. They had their hands up in the air and they waved them like they just didn't care. And Jesus rode through on the red carpet, if, so to speak, in Jerusalem as he was hailed the king. And people loved it. They proclaimed him the king. Good job, everybody. Throw your ping pong paddles in the middle. Good job. Thank you so much for your help. Give them a warm round of applause. Jesus was glad to receive that praise that was due him. As he proclaimed himself king, as the people proclaimed him king, the expectations were high. Because the people expected a king, but their expectations were based on what they wanted, their perception. They perceived this king to be one who would liberate them from the oppressive Romans as God had saved them from the Egyptians before. They didn't understand that this king came to set up a entirely different kingdom. But they expected a liberator, somebody to free them, to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem and kick them out of Israel. He would crush their enemies. He would restore the fame and glory of Israel. And life would be easier, much easier. And so the celebration was on. And they began to greet him. They began to shout things like, Hosanna. Can you shout Hosanna? They shouted, long live the king. That's right, exactly. They, they shouted something like this, Hosanna to the son of David. They were calling him the king in the line of David. David was their, their king of kings. From centuries back, the stuff legends are made of, David was this king. He's the one that had brought Israel into its gloriousness establishing the throne of David, Jesus was then called his son. They wanted a king like David. And so that's what they called him. And they said, glory to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But they didn't want just a king. They wanted a superhero. They really did. They wanted Jesus to come in, walk up, to the Roman palace, Herod's palace, and declare himself king. You got to understand that Romans, uh, Herod's palace was really set against the opulence and the glory and grandeur of the temple, God's temple. Herod had built himself this magnificent palace full of gold and riches and just awesomeness. And they wanted him to go there and declare himself king, walk right up the steps, kick the door in, and go, 
your superhero is here. I've been waiting for that moment all morning long. That's Superman logo in case you can't see it. Get out your reading glasses real quick. There you go. All right. I, now I feel kind of, I got I to gotta be proper, right? This is the religion part of me, right? They wanted him to go to the palace and declare himself king, but he doesn't go there. You know where Jesus heads to? He heads to the temple. That's not what their king would do. It's so unexpected. Even his disciples are confused. They, what are you doing? And he goes into the temple and he sees what's set up there. This temple that's supposed to be a place of worship to God has become profaned by merchants and what they call money changers, people who would change the money from other regions and, and steal money as the, with, through the exchange rate of foreigners who'd come to worship properly of people who had to travel, who couldn't carry their annual sacrifice, had to, had to buy a sacrifice provided there at the temple, and they would be charged these crazy rates and be taken advantage of. And it just angered Jesus that people would set up religious uh, hurdles for those who simply wanted to worship. And it angered him. This superhero in SWAT-like fashion, goes into the temple, and he begins flipping tables. I broke it earlier, by the way. And he begins to say something so blasphemous as he flips the next table. You're not supposed to do that in church, are you? We have these religious rules, don't we? It's okay right now because I'm the pastor. I love having the kids here. Jesus flips the tables, and then you know what he declares next? He says, my house will be called a house of prayer, a house of worship. He declares it, but listen to what he's saying. In the midst of the religious leaders, he's declaring the temple of Yahweh, the temple of the God of Israel, as his house. This is blasphemy. He's declaring himself on par with God himself. He says, my house will be called a house of worship and prayer. This just angers the religious leaders. One translation even says that Jesus fashioned a rope, a, a, a whip out of a rope. How superhero is that? That's awesome. And the religious leaders are upset because he is breaking their religious control. Religion and faith collide here in this moment. Religion, though, is about my expectations. No one expected what Jesus did in flipping tables. But faith is about God's expectations. Religion is about my expectations. I follow the rules, and God, you owe me something. But faith says, God, I just want to meet your expectations. And we can only do that through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes in as a king, but he does something very unexpected. If he were to walk into your life today, what tables would he flip? 
What would he upset in your life because you've created the boxes that you allow him to operate in? Oh, Jesus, don't go in, in that room and don't mess up that room because that's, that's orderly and neat. And this is why you're going to let me into heaven is because I've done all these things right. Religion is about what you can do right. But faith is about what Jesus did right for us. And you can't get into heaven because you did something right. You get into heaven because by faith you believe that Jesus did what you could not do. And in that, my friends, he becomes our superhero. But even more than that, we don't need just a superhero. We need a leader into the realm that we don't naturally belong. It's in the spiritual realm. Because Jesus didn't come to set up a political kingdom. If he did, it would keep all of the religious ruling class of that day in power and in flipping the tables at the temple. He was coming in direct opposition to that ruling class in the political kingdom. He came, up to, he came to set up an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom is about freedom and release, where religion is about oppression and bondage. With religion, it brought separation, but Jesus brought relationship. Religion brought blindness and spiritual hard-heartedness, where Jesus brought healing and restored physical and spiritual sight. The religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus, and they tried to at every opportunity. They wanted to keep the people quiet, in fact. In fact, as Jesus entered the city, the religious leaders, I think it's in Luke's recording in Luke chapter 19, they're saying, can't you keep your people quiet? Keep your disciples quiet? Because they really did believe that it was blasphemy to declare Jesus the Messiah, the King. And Jesus' comeback is is awesome. It's kind of like late night television comeback. He says, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. You get that? He's saying, if humans, the greatest of God's creation, don't give him what he deserves as the rightful king of kings of all creation, then you know what will cry out and give him his due? Inanimate objects. (laughs) The dust, the dirt, the rocks, the very substance we were created out of. It will sing his praises. You know, when we gather on a Sunday morning and sing and worship, it's about giving Jesus what he's due. It's not about how, how lovely our voice is or how, how well the band performs or all these other things. It's about recognizing Jesus. And hopefully you do it throughout the week, but if not, then Sunday morning is a great time to pause and refocus. And together with those who are like-minded in their belief, direct our attention, our energy, our thoughts, our praise towards the one who we owe it all to Jesus Christ. The religious people, they're angry at Jesus. They're angry at all the miracles and healings. Doesn't that just strike you that in this, in this whole recording, in fact, you'll find it in, in the recording of John, that the religious leaders are upset that Jesus is performing miracles and doing healings. What? We're mad that you're healing people and people are better. I don't, I don't get it. Only that they were losing control. They were losing their authority the more and more Jesus proved who he said he was. They were mad at the children. Can you believe that, kids? They were mad at the children because you know what? After his triumphal entry, you know who continued 
on with the praises? The kids. Now, some of you might say, well, they didn't know better. And I would totally agree with you. The kids don't know better. They haven't been distracted yet by all the other things that you and I carry around and are burdened with. Maybe you and I should pray someday that we wouldn't know better and that we would just continue to praise God despite what our circumstances say, despite all the things around us that tell, the, tell us that God is not in control. Perhaps we would be better off to not know better and to continue to praise God anyway. They rejected Jesus because what Jesus was presenting was this idea that your religion was worthless. It was now a relationship. Your self-reliance was no proof of faith anymore. God-reliance was the only proof of faith. And this upset the religious ruling class. You see, with religion, I'm in control. With faith, God is in control. And Jesus came to set up this spiritual kingdom, this eternal kingdom. My question to you is what expectations do you have of Jesus and his kingdom? We want Jesus to conform to our expectations, our, our thoughts, our, our religion, yet he refuses. I want Jesus to give me an easier life. I want him to answer all my prayers and problems. I want the good stuff. I want him to give me things. Yet I want to maintain, maintain control of my life. If, if that relationship seems to be topsy-turvy for you, like the girl who broke up with me one time, maybe it's you, not me. No, it's the other way around. Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to take a hard look at this relationship you have with Jesus. And as we've challenged you before, define the relationship. Are you merely a fan of Jesus and what he possibly could provide for you in a tangible sense? Or are you a follower of Christ? You see, the, the, the town of Jerusalem was filled with fans that morning as Jesus entered. But as the Holy Week went on, this week of passion, as Jesus continued to rock the religious world with his miracles, with, his, with what his teachings were, even to the time of his trial and crucifixion, you'll see that the crowd turns on him from Hardly any of them are followers. They are simply fans. What expectations do you have of Jesus? You see, religion is full of fans, but faith requires followers. In Matthew chapter 21, in this recording of the triumphal entry, the question the crowd is asking is, who is this man? Who is this, they ask. Verse 11, and the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Who is this man? You see, in my studies, I've discovered that there's nearly unanimity among scholars and historians today as to the historicity of Jesus, meaning nearly across the board, believers and unbelievers alike, there is no argument that Jesus was a real person who really lived it's, it's not even a scholarly debate anymore because there's just the proof there, the evidence to support that Jesus was a real person. But the question is, who is he? Who is he to you? 
more than just did he exist. But who is he to you? What expectations? Have you ever had high expectations that didn't pan out? I know for me, I remember a a certain Christmas, I had wanted this G.I. Joe car for a long time. G.I. Joe? Anybody? All right. I wanted the dune buggy, right? And I remember getting it. I mean, I was so happy. I mean, my expectations were high. Life was good. Life was complete. And I was playing with it, and I played with it into the next day, the day after Christmas. And I remember playing with it. I remember breaking the wheel off. <laughs> Dear God, why me? Right? Because my expectations were high, but my expectations were placed on something of this earth, something of my own conceiving. Sometimes that's kind of the expectation we place on Jesus, just things that he never promised. In Luke chapter 19, it says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And in response to the religious people, those who didn't believe, his response to them was, if you'd only known, you would have experienced peace. If you had have only known. That's the question for you. Do you know? Who is this man Jesus? Is he who he says he is or is he just a crazy person who lived this earth? It lived on this earth. If you'd only known, someday we'll all stand before God. And at that point, you can't declare, if I'd only known, because you've heard the truth. That faith in Jesus is the only saving faith, it's the only way to God the Father, not just to heaven. I, I think everybody wants to go to heaven. I haven't met a person yet in my life that said they didn't want to go to heaven. But the only reason heaven is important is because Jesus is there. And the only way to get to God the Father in back to where we were, what we were originally created for is through Jesus. It's not about your parents or your friends, or your grandparents or your, your church or your pastor. Who is Jesus to you? Kids, who is Jesus to you? He's that superhero that we all need. He, he does things that we can't do for ourselves. But he's much more than that. He's the leader of our life. You learn that now, it'll save you a bunch of pain in the future. That Jesus doesn't want to just come in and be your superhero and be your savior, although he does that. He wants to be the leader of your life. And somehow in Christianity, In our culture, we have this disconnect between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. Jesus as as our superhero, our salvation, and Jesus as the the leader of our life. We're okay with the first part because it means we get good stuff. When we die, we get to go to heaven. But him being our leader, that's a whole different story because that requires sacrifice and submission and surrender. And that's the tough thing of being a follower, not a fan. Where are you this morning? And who is Jesus to you? That's the question we must all answer. You know, Jesus was flesh and blood. 
You could see him, touch him, hear him, right? And then he, he goes back to his Father in heaven. And yet he says these words in Revelation 3.20. Here I am. Present tense. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Interesting that while Jesus is in heaven, he's still here with us, knocking at the door of our heart. Where's the door of your heart? Everybody knock on it. All right, not too hard. The door of our heart is this thing that we have the power to open and shut, to say, Jesus, come in, or Jesus, stay out. When you invite him in, he doesn't want to just remodel. He wants a complete makeover of your house. He wants to go in, into the dark areas, the rooms you don't want him, and he wants to flip over the tables and say, that's not it. That's not where I'm, what I'm about. He wants to lead your life, kids. He wants to lead your life. Maybe if you're honest with yourself this morning, maybe you've been following Jesus more as a fan than anything. You don't mind the good stuff, and when he answers prayers, it's, you know, he's a friend with benefits, but he's not really your leader. You don't really want him messing with your plans and with your stuff. And maybe with, if you're honest with yourself, some of you maybe have never made that decision to even follow Jesus in the first place. Today's your day. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, church, in this holy moment, I want you to think and reflect in this moment. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? You want the stuff, but you don't really want to surrender. Who is Jesus to you? Perhaps in this moment you'll pray with me, whether you've called yourself a Christian for years or maybe you've never taken that step of faith to believe in Jesus as your Savior and, and leader of your life. This could be your moment. Just a second, I'm going to ask those of you who want to respond this morning to raise your hand. Is a signal to Jesus that you're ready for him to lead your life. You let him come in and forgive your sins, clean up your house, flip the tables as necessary so that he might transform you and conform you, not to your image, what you think you need to be, but to the image of himself so that he can present you to God on that last day as holy, pleasing. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and then put it right back down and pray with you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Kids, that's you too. You can raise your hands too. Thank you. Anybody else? Good job. Awesome. We're going to stand together and we're going to pray with all those who raised their hand. Would you stand real quick? Thank you, kids. Those of you who raised your hands, like children in this room raise their hands. There's nothing more powerful than a, a child who recognizes their need for God. Church, we're going to repeat a prayer together. We're going to pray out loud. Kids, you know why I like to pray out loud? Because it helps me focus. <laughs> and it encourages others. I know it encourages me when I hear people pray. And I also pray out loud because I think it makes the devil fearful of me, and I like that. So let's pray together. Let, would you just repeat after me? Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for giving me new life. I ask you to forgive my sins. Come into my life. Clean it up. 
and lead me. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you made that your prayer today, would you do me a favor? And there's a card in the chair back in front of you. There's a spot in there that you can mark that you made that decision today. You can take it by our Connection Center out in the foyer. And there's a a free book we'd love to put in your hands to get you started. We hope you'll get involved in our church in a small group. And kids, keep coming to kids' ministry. I know Pastor Ginger loves you guys. She's doing a fantastic job. We're so thankful for her. We look forward to seeing you on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday morning. Have a great week. See you then. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.